Chapter Seven of Prisoner of the Mill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Prisoner of the Mill by Harry Hazelton. Chapter Seven. A live hero, the retrograde army movement. The villain Walker was returned to his lonely cell. Lieutenant Wells was released from all restraint. The soldiers dispersed to talk about the strange turn events had taken. But the center of attraction was Nettleton. He was seated in front of the Hinton tent. Close beside him was Miss Hayward, kneeling, and gazing mournfully into his face, while Alabamo, Wells, the general, Nettie Morton, Sally Long, the officers who had composed the court-martial, the especial friends of the parties, and as many of the soldiers as could get within hearing distance, were earnestly listening to the narrative of the bodyguard. Nettleton went on to relate his meeting the rebel scouts, and the fact of their having informed him that Hayward had only been wounded and conveyed toward Wilson's Creek by a party attached to the command of Lieutenant Colonel Price. The reader will mark the distinction between Lieutenant Colonel Price, who was a ruffian guerrilla, and had broken his parole three times, an act repudiated by all honest soldiers of either army, and General Sterling Price, who, although a rebel, always had acted in a gentlemanly and humane manner to all prisoners of war. After listening to the story of William, the general drew from his pocket the note which had been found at the Ozark Bridge, signed Charles Campbell. This note must have been written but a few moments before the fight took place. The date would be just two days after Hayward had received the assassin's stroke, giving about the proper time for the wounded man to be carried from Grand Prairie to Ozark, at which latter place Lieutenant Colonel Price had formed a temporary camp. The writer spoke of a wounded man in a boat, and against whom Price had had an especial spite. This confirmed the conviction that Hayward had been taken thither for the especial gratification of Price's fiendish propensities. The note also said that he bore the marks of a captain's rank, and, in his delirium, spoke of Net, which might have referred to the young lady, Nettie Morton, whom he possibly might have seen in the distance upon the bank as the boat neared the spot where she was standing, or, as seemed more probable, that the wounded captain was calling upon Nettleton. At all events, it was decided that the person of whom Charles Campbell had written was no other than Captain Hayward. It is true, he was still almost insensible from his wounds, and was near the camp of his most unforgiving enemy. But there was a friend at hand, an enemy in arms, but a friend to the wounded and helpless soldier, as are all true men, and he had written that he would save him. Why should we not hope, asked Alabama, as she clasped her friend, Mamie, in her arms. And why should we not act, cried Wells, as he clutched the hilt of his sword. Yes, we will act, yelled Nettleton, as he sprung up and appeared ready for instant departure. Go, William. Follow the stream from Ozark until you find some trace, and then return to us, said Miss Hayward, eagerly. Nettleton turned his gaze upon Miss Sally for a moment, and then, as if ashamed of his hesitation or of his weakness in exhibiting any symptoms of love, 
he started with a bound, exclaiming, I'm off. Goodbye, all. He had proceeded, however, but a few steps, when he halted, and scratching his head, his countenance assumed a most woeful expression, and his eyes rolled wildly about. What is the matter, William? asked Wells. Got to go the other way, was the melancholy reply. Why so? Oh, just a bit of fun, that's all. Well, tell us what it is, Nettleton. I can't. It will break her heart, he replied, pointing to Sally. So it would, William, if anything dreadful should happen to you, replied Miss Long, as she dropped her eyes to the ground. There, didn't I tell you so, replied the faithful servant, his mouth gaping and his eyes expanding. William, asked Wells, do you really love Miss Long? Love her, Lieutenant? That ain't no name for it. Why can't you see yourself that she's the sweetest darn sk no, I mean the nicest critter in the world, except in Miss Mamie? And does she love you, William? asked Alabamo, smiling, in spite of herself, at the tableau enacting before her. Of course I do, replied Sally proudly and triumphantly, as if a victory had been won. There, there. Do you hear that? Now don't you pity me? I believe I am the most ugly cuss in the world. I never thought anybody would ever love me, and now I find out the gal as I wants most is just the one as does love me. Oh, Lordy, I'm sick, I do believe. All right, Wells responded with a smile. All right. Not by a blasted sight, sir. Did you think it all right when you loved Miss Mamie and thought you had to swing? What? You talk in riddles. Explain. I've got to be hung, he roared, but whether with pain or delight, none could tell. Why, you didn't have anything to do with hurting the captain, cried Sally, as she advanced toward her beloved. Nettleton gazed at her an instant with a most singular expression, and then replied, Miss Long, never let suspicion cross that delicate boat mind of yours, but like the true turtle-dove, put your trust in the uprighteousness of your future lord and master, what is to be hanged all on account of the first time you wrapped them delicate arms of yourn around my long neck? William, what do you mean by being hanged? asked the general. Nettleton then went on to relate the agreement he had made with Price, to return and undergo the punishment which was about to be inflicted upon him when that general interfered. He declared his intention of returning at once, as his furlough had run out, and as a man of honor, he must return. And do you really intend to return? asked the general. Of course I do, replied William, with something of scorn and much of pride in his tones. William, think for a moment. You are now safe. You are with one who loves you, and with whom you can be happy. Why will you return? General, don't argue this point with me. I said I would come back, and darn me if I don't. Nettleton started after having shook the hand of his friends. "'Stay a moment, Nettleton,' said the general. "'I have a letter from General Price with regard to you.' Nettleton paused and listened, as the commander, opening the envelope, read, "'Camp near Cassville, November twelfth, 1861. To General Blank. Greeting. A prisoner of war was released from our camp and permitted to return to Springfield on the ninth. It was at first thought that he was a spy, as he had been seen in and near our camp before, 
and he was about to suffer death upon the scaffold. When I saw and questioned him, I became convinced that he was no spy, but a faithful servant and friend, searching for his captain, whom he loved. I ordered his release. I gave him a parole of honor. He promised to return that the sentence of the drumhead court could be carried into effect upon him, after he had given the evidence he possessed, which he declared was necessary to save an innocent man. I admire his truthfulness. Should he be determined to return, of which I have no doubt, you will read this letter, which releases William Nettleton from any further obligation. He will remain with his friends and be happy. Signed by the A.A.A.G. For the Commander, Price. The effect upon the gallant fellow of the reading of this letter was somewhat singular. He stood for a moment gaping around upon the spectators as if he had been caught in some mean act. Then a smile came over his face like sunlight creeping over a rugged mountain top. Soon his countenance looked like a newly risen sun fairly blazing with blushes. Then with a wild whoop, which rung out like a signal, he sprung into the air, rattled his feet together, and once on earth again bounded off like a great moose for the nearest thicket, where to indulge his feelings without restraint. The crowd dispersed in good humor, to talk over the strange events of an hour. If one heart was happier than all, it was that of poor Mamie, whose joy at the proven innocence of her friend and lover was too intense for words. In her heart a new hope had also arisen, that her dear brother would again be restored to her arms, and thus fill up the cup of her blessings to the brim. It had been decided by the friends of Hayward that a search for the captain would be useless, but it was hoped that Charles Campbell would give some information which would lead to his discovery, or that Fall Leaf, a celebrated Indian scout, who had now been absent many days on the very line of the enemy's march, would return with some tidings by which the actions of the captain's anxious friends should be governed. The Army of the Mississippi, having passed from Fremont's command to that of General Hunter, had been ordered to fall back from Springfield, in two columns, the one by the way of the Osage and Warsaw to Tipton, Missouri, on the line of the main Pacific Road, and the other by way of Lebanon on the main road between Springfield and Rolla, the southwestern branch of the same road. Each place, in distance from Springfield, was about 125 miles. The march of the division to which Captain Hayward's friends were attached, which was under the command of the brave Siegel, was commenced on the morning of November 20th. That division formed the rear of the entire army. It proceeded by the Rolla Turnpike. Nothing of note transpired until the division was ascending the rolling hill about two miles before reaching Lebanon, when a horseman, his face and head streaming with blood, rode rapidly along the lines, exclaiming, Fight in front! Fight in front! He halted for no one to question him, but kept on his way. No guns were heard, and many expressed the opinion that it must be a strange fight. But, as a necessary precaution, the infantrymen were halted, their pieces loaded, and bayonets fixed. The artillery was charged and flags unfurled. As the troops ascended the hill and looked in vain for a foe, the question was asked, where is the fight? 
This was soon settled, as another messenger rode up and informed the general that a party or squadron of rebel cavalry, numbering about four hundred, had attacked a little band of home guards of about thirty, which had been collected in a valley some twenty miles south of Lebanon, on the main road, in a place called Bohannon Mills Valley. Most of the thirty home guard had been killed, wounded, or dispersed by the guerrillas. Then all families in that vicinity known to entertain Union proclivities were visited at the dead of night. Murder and arson was the cry. Many poor creatures soon were in the agonies of death. Husbands who had rushed from concealment to defend their wives had been cloven to the earth. Children ran shrieking to and fro only to be dashed to pieces by the savages of the Missouri mountain. It was a carnival of lust and blood, over which the historian ever must dwell in horror. And yet those fiends in human shape were protected by the aegis of the Confederate flag. Such was the scene depicted by the messenger, when the division was halted, and a consultation took place. It was decided that while the main army went forward, two companies of infantry, a section of artillery, and a company of cavalry should be detached to proceed at once to Bohannon Mills, to protect the helpless families, and if possible to punish the rebel horde which had committed such awful crimes against humanity. End of chapter 7